and welcome to Crux Cast. This is episode three of our show, which holds court to high quality dialogue surrounding the future of media through the black perspective. I am Tunisia, and I have the pleasure of being back with my co-pilot, Isha. What's happening? Oh, hey. Welcome back to you. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Glad to be back. Missed you and Joanna um, last week, but uh, glad to be back. How was everything? Yeah. Everything's gone pretty well. Um, We wanted to announce that this Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific time... Be mindful of your time zones. It's the YBCA 100 Summit, which is really exciting. So Crux has been working with um, San Francisco's Yerba Buena Center for the Arts for their upcoming summit, which celebrates the everyday heroes like activists, artists, and community leaders for their extraordinary commitments to building sustainable, equitable, and regenerative communities. That's it's a huge. really cool list um, of just like dope folks who are doing great stuff, um, specifically in the Bay Area for the most part. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And yeah, that's Saturday, uh, April 3rd at 11 a.m. And it's going to be amazing because, you know, traditionally this would be in person. But so now uh, working with us here at Crux, we've been putting together this amazing digital experience on this platform called Oye. Very, very immersive and interactive experience. David Diggs, who was a former YBCA 100 honoree, they will be there in conversation with YBCA CEO Deborah Kulinan. McLeod Hadero will be performing, and we're including some really cool immersive experiences with other honorees like Alice Shepard and Kinetic Light, Youth versus Apocalypse, Margot Hall, and Soma Filipinas, and more. Yeah, we're super excited about it. Um, here at Crux, our, our colleagues have been building out this amazing yeah. space, so we're super stoked. So um, if you want more information on that, you can head to our socials um, at CruxXR or YBCA, which is at YBCA. Yeah. In plugging um, the YBCA Summit that's coming out um like we said, this Saturday. That's a really good segue, actually, into what this episode is about. I unfortunately missed this interview, but having heard it and obviously talked to you guys, um, you and Joanna, who had the pleasure of having this conversation with Raven Two Feathers, in looking at Indigenous storytelling, that really is something that I think isn't, isn't talked about enough. And I don't think people know how to talk about it because when we're talking about diversity in VR and things like that, um, what does that even look like, right? Like, what does that mean in the XR space? Um, and so I know when we reached out to Raven Two Feathers, uh, they were very, very happy and and willing to talk to us about this because um, his pronouns he and they. Uh, Raven describes himself as a two spirit. Emmy award-winning VR creator, and I know collectively you and Joanna uh, had the pleasure of having a really, really great conversation about how VR can help multicultural, you know, creators and storytellers, how it can help them kind of preserve and rediscover their own self-expression and in a very inclusionary manner, you know? The conversation we had with Raven was super eye-opening. Um, in in that I learned about things that I had never heard about or I had mm-hmm. just not known. And also in terms of really redefining things I have known about or I've, you know, thought mm-hmm. about a lot. So we talked about um, 
re-indigenization and sort of this pushback against, I mean, this this kind of redefining or reclaiming as opposed to mm. decolonizing and sort of um, rejecting the frameworks of colonization for something else completely. Uh, that was really, really fascinating. Um, yeah, it's because I think the opportunity that that imagination and immersive technology afford people is this is this chance to not only dis- rediscover themselves or discover themselves in a new light, but also a reclamation of something that they felt might have been lost or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like appropriated. Uh, and, and so it's this it's this very empowering tool where now art in any form, physical, digital creation, you know, all of you know, mixed reality, art becomes like these literal tools, like a hammer, a nail, and a screwdriver that will allow you to build something very, very physical, like tangible, so to speak, right? That you can look at. It's something observable that stands for something so much more. And that can be self-conception. That can be history. That can be... Um, uh, you know, inspiration and things like that. So it's the, I, having listened to you know the the conversation that you guys had with Raven. I I just was very very impressed by not only the the level of thought and sincerity that I think goes into what he creates is huge. Because yeah, there was a lot of things I hadn't even considered before um, that all of a sudden just right. popped in my my mind after hearing him. I was like, wow, I never even considered you know technology or or vr being you know a utility for something like that yeah so with that i will let you listen to the conversation between isha joanna and our featured guest raven two feathers raven two feathers teeds dot to old ched t tiwa occupied territory Chalagi Chedjida Onandolaga Chedjida Gaikono Chedjida Namana. Hi, my name is Raven Two Feathers. I'm originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I am Cherokee, Seneca, Cayuga, and Comanche, and currently on Coast Salish territory, also known as Seattle, Washington. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Raven. Yeah, super excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Um, would you tell us, like, to the audience, just give a brief bio or tell us about your background? Yeah, do a lot of uh, film and VR work regarding Native, Two-Spirit, you know, all of the interse- intersections that I embody. So, yeah. And you got your start in filmmaking, or that's that's kind of the where you come from. Yeah, I initially said when I was three I wanted to be a producer, um, probably because I watched too much TV, um, <laughs> but I eventually ended up, I eventually ended up going to film school um, and initially starting off in sound, and then I started doing more work in uh, producing and directing, so I guess my three-year-old self was right. <laughs> yeah, you really did produce. <laughs> So how did you transition then from filmmaking into VR and and why did you choose VR as another medium to experiment with? Mm. Well, my mentor, Tracy Rector, 
got me a pass to Seattle International Film Festival's essentially XR uh, festival back in 2016, and she was starting to introduce me to this world of what VR filmmaking could look like um, and using 360 cameras, and it just seemed like a very interesting way to explore a world and explore um, plopping an audience member into the middle of your creation. I was really big into playing video games since I can remember, and so this felt like a bridge between filmmaking and that immersive medium that is uh, video games. I'd love to talk about sort of how your Indigenous background and culture inspires and informs your creative direction and your vision creatively. Yeah. Um, While VR does center and um, essentially you are in, you're the center of the world when it comes to VR, but there is this whole world that's going on around you and being able to uh, be a part of that world is really where I see a lot of my um, indigenous thinking, even though it's just thinking to me, coming out. Um, and so it feels like we are able to transport people into these different worlds, which indigenous stories have so many of, um, and there are still so many being created now, that it seems like a good way to remove people from the societal context in which they live now and be able to open up uh, and feel all of these different emotions being in a world that is uh, so indigenous focused. I have a question for you that's two part. Um, One is about the challenges that you face um, in immersive storytelling and immersive indigenous storytelling. Um, If you could talk about that, and then also speak to the potential that Indigenous um, immersive storytelling has. Mm -hmm. I think that the main challenge, and this is with all tech industries, it is that it is so white, cis, male-focused and heavy, and that's even going back to the hardware of um, everything being focused on, say, able bodies. And so we don't get the input or the thinking or really the values that indigenous people or any other people who aren't white, cis, able-bodied males uh, have to contribute. Uh, And so I feel like that is really opening up when it comes to uh, indigenous folks who are working in tech and working on playing around with and creating their own hardware and bringing that to life. Uh, One person that comes to mind is Moni Gar, their uh, Mohawk and working out of uh, the reservation up there. Cool. And what kind of, um, yeah, when you're talking about hardware, could you explain some of their work? Yeah, uh, they've been working, Moni Gar has been working on various AI that is indigenous focused and also working on a whole bunch of uh, indigenous language focused, say, chatbots that they did back in the 90s, work on that in the 90s. And so their focus of really centering and caring for 
beings that uh, are artificial beings is so very different to our expectation of them just being worker bees and doing things for us rather than having that reciprocal relationship um, and really caring about raising them in a uh, in a safe and proper way. This brings me, I had watched your pitch for um, a long time ago, which was so cool. The visuals, the immersiveness, the depth is amazing. And um... that piece originally came out of wanting to see a re-indigenized Seattle and doing a lot of research into what this place looked like before, because it's one of the most uh, engineered cities in the world. Um, sorry. It's one of the most engineered cities in the U.S. And so being able to go back to how it used to look with uh, the extremely steep hills around and the plank houses in uh, Coast Salish territory, it was an interesting journey to merge that and what the city looks like now. And also the cooperation and the technological advancements through plants and through other uh, beings that aren't ripping up uh, the earth and trying to harvest uh, metal and all of these things that cause more harm to, to the earth. Um, it was interesting to re-envision that. Yes, on the... Um the note about the plants and you put forth this idea of ecological technology, which I've never heard of or, and then immediately I was like, Whoa, that's like, this is an amazing view. And even earlier when you were talking about having a reciprocal um, relationship, can you sort of, um, yeah, speak about the concept about the plants kind of passing information and it being more of a mutual exchange? Yeah. Um, so when I first started working on this piece, I expected to incorporate more cultural elements. And then I was talking with my mentor, Lisa Jackson, about that. And we just started whittling down, well, what's really the base of this piece? And it seemed to go back to the plants and all of the teachings that they would have to share with us, whether that was the traditional ways in which we used them or the more advanced ways in which we um, derive different medicines out of them nowadays by, um, yeah, by extracting different elements from them and uh, also learning what they have to teach us both and what they uh, do and don't share. One of my thoughts goes to um, Devil's Club. It's very uh, prickly and sticky and also goes to rope. Uh, my mind goes to Rose in that you have to be gentle and care for it and be cognizant of its boundaries. And I think it has a lot, I think plants have a lot to teach us about how we interact with beings in general and how we interact with our fellow humans and how we take care of one another and how we can benefit from all of us working together. And so I see that and that uh, mutual care between one another as the only way that we're going to move forward out of global warming, out of the colonization and the um, extractive practices that have dominated uh, society. It's amazing because I think when you think of plants and it being sort of the quintessential organic matter versus 
what we think of when we think of VR and we think of technology as being on the like polar opposite end, but being able to just, you know, take what seems like a line and make it a circle or make it, you know, like a spiral or something of just like really connecting them and seeing that they're, yeah, this concept of ecological technology where it is um, an exchange and there's information and requires a relationship is so interesting and being interactive. I'd never, I'd never quite thought of it that way before. And uh, you've given me quite a bit to think about and making that connection. And I thank you for that well, very much. Run with it. I'm excited to see what everyone else has to do. I'm only one person. So. <laughs> Still. I had a question that kind of takes us back a little bit to um, your beginnings. Um, and you mentioned Tracy Rector as your mentor. And... Uh, I, from my understanding is that is where you got your start. Uh, what project, that was your first indigenous project that you completed in that program, uh, indigenously focused proje- project? Can you talk about what that project was and um, share a little bit about your experience in that program? Yeah. Uh, so the first indigenous, explicitly indigenous focused piece that I did was via Superfly, which was a program that Tracy Rector, my mentor, uh, ran until 2014, I believe. Uh, And it was, you had to make a documentary with a small team of other youth in 36 hours uh, about, and each team had a different aspect of the nation that was hosting us. So the first nation that I was hosted by here was the Suquamish, um, who are just just across the Salish Sea from Seattle. And so being able to be re-immersed in indigeneity and in the number of different nations and different people that are here in Seattle and in the surrounding Seattle area was... It felt like I didn't have to separate my art and myself from what I was making. Uh, And so that was an incredible relief. It seems like every time that I come into myself and uh, am able to incorporate that with my art and have it blend, I just feel more at home and more relaxed. And so it's been uh, an incredible way to process trauma and heal and keep going beyond what uh, a lot of colonized people say is resilience. I don't want to have to be resilient to live in this world. So being able to imagine something beyond that resiliency where there's, there's normalcy and there's that, um, that almost safety net upon safety net and realizing that you don't have to worry as much. I think that's, that's such beautiful. an amazing note about resiliency too, where it's such a, it, I mean, so many words are loaded right now, but it is a really loaded <laughs> word about the assumptions that are made and the sort of like, and part of that assumption is like, oh, you're this type of person. We're just going to assume and therefore continue to put these expectations and this pain and like your, your job is to put up with it and 
good luck because you're the big R word, resilient. <laughs> the, is, and you know, resilient and strong. They, they use the word strong oh. a lot mm-hmm. to describe you when they just, you know, just continue to pile on you. And, you know, the fact that you haven't fallen apart, you're strong. Right. You know? <laughs> Do you want to try and see where I got my strength from? Here's the whole, the pile that I've been carrying. Have fun with it. Right, exactly. (laughs) The piece that I showed you was even just a prototype. And um, for the more fleshed out version, there's this expectation that like two thirds of the piece is going to be about you having to take care of the plants that you're interacting with. And maybe you'll learn a little bit about them, their names or their stories of where they came from, but most of the action is you have to work to get to the future. And for indigenous people that um, experience this piece, whenever it comes out, please fund me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, it, There's this expectation that you will take care of something, um, and it might take a while, but that's what you're going to need to do for it to you know, accept you and give back to you. Um, And so reframing things in that way and that slowness that might be expected uh, is intentional. I'm excited. I'm excited about that project. I'm very excited about this project. Um, Thank you. It's something we definitely need. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, the idea of it being VR and interactive really hits home this idea that it is, it is work. Uh, It is like a, it's a, something you have to maintain. It's a relationship. It's yeah. I I absolutely love that because I mean, obviously film, even at its most engaging, they're like the thing, the difference between film and VR is that's like the passivity. And so like really figuring out a way to activate your audience is so cool. There are times where I do like using film to be like, you are purposely going to sit down and listen to me. For yes. once. <laughs> you can't go anywhere. <laughs> gotcha. You paid gotcha. for this ticket. You've got you to listen. <laughs> Very true. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to ask um, to kind of go into the concept of um, re-indigenizing because I think that's such a, I, I love it as a concept and I just want you to kind of explain it and how that kind of comes into your work. Sure. Um, so this land and every land has always been indigenous. And so it's not a matter of putting the focus on decolonizing because we're just at that point taking away and what are we going to use to fill that void? It's almost a swap of going back in time with all the knowledge and all of the experiences that we've had collectively, generationally so far, and uh, going back to our roots and recognizing what works and how we each have this uh, these similarities that we can have to begin interactions. And from there, recognizing the very important, very meaningful differences we all have and that we should celebrate and so being able to be between those two worlds and interact is um 
is something that I try to integrate into my work because it's this land's always been indigenous and always will be indigenous. You cannot extract it from the land. It is the land. To your point about like what are we in, when you're thinking of decolonization and like what are we going to fill that void with? Like yeah, like that's <laughs> the thing that's been there the whole time. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Especially up here, there is this very familial sense of welcoming, especially when you get on the coast, you get that a lot because there were so many resources and so many people on the coast. And so taking up the responsibility of being a guest on this land uh, is something that I also try and integrate into the work that I do, Uh, not to the extent of oh, here's a land acknowledgement, I'm done with my part, but that it is a continuous uh, exchange between the people who have stewarded this land um, and continue to steward this land and these waters and the people who are guests and recognizing that responsibility between the two of us. I'm so glad that you said that because there just seems to be this, you know, these things become popular, uh, um, performative things to do, acknowledge the land that they're on, you know, when they do introductions and, you know, parties and, mm-hmm. um, you know, at events. And that's about the extent of it, you know. <laughs> um, and so I think what you're saying about reinforcing the fact that this is not something that you can just take very lightly and mention it once and that's the end of it. That is not what this is about. It's an ongoing, lifelong mm-hmm. process. And um, I thank you for that too because <laughs> this is this is really become the, the norm for a lot of things. Um, supporting... Black Lives Matter, something that mm-hmm. people just say, you know, the Tinder um, and they're not really ready to do the work <laughs> that comes with that. <laughs> so, um, again, thank you for that. <laughs> for that. I think that's going to be my catchphrase. Thank you for that. <laughs> But yeah, let's not add that into the Tinder bio unless you're willing to, you know, actually talk about Black Lives Matter and abolition and the history of, you know, everything that this country is founded on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh man, we could do a whole episode on on (laughs) that virtue signaling in your various dating profiles and or social media profiles. (laughs) (laughs) How to weed them out. (laughs) Truly. So, you know, I think this is the perfect time to ask you about your thoughts on diversity in the VR and XR space. I mean, you've touched on this a little bit already, but, you know, what does that look like and what has your experience been like in this space? Hmm. I think that my first thought on diversity and inclusion is that there's so much from the ground up building that we need to do. Uh, 
or modifications of existing hardware that needs to be done to make it accessible for folks. Um, and there's so much more work on like having multiple planes on um, the screen to be able to make sure we don't damage our own eyes in uh, doing this sort of work. And so I think there is a lot of <clears throat> initial work that needs to be done in the hardware to make it accessible, even for folks who are completely able-bodied, because we're going to need our eyes, um, presumably for the rest of our lives, unless we have a really big safety net. <laughs> or we want to be part of that, what was it, blind on Apple TV with Jason Momoa? Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, I just... We'll not go into that tangent. <laughs> you can, oh just, just so you know. <laughs> All I saw was the trailer, so, you know, and then I heard how much it bombed. Anyways, just being able to have that hardware accessible, first of all, so that people can even just physically access it is needed, but also there's that there's a need to reallocate resources not just be like oh we're gonna take the whole poc fund and just put it towards black folks how about the 99 percent of money that's going to presumably white dominant uh companies or developers and put that let's just cut half of that money off and put it towards a plethora of people <laughs> who have different experiences imagine that um but just being able to actually fund and actually get behind these uh, developers and folks who are creating art at all levels um, and really opening up the space to people truly is what we're going to need. Whether or not people want to change the system in that way, who knows? <laughs> I know one of the things that the pandemic has made brutally clear for me is how much money is actually out there. Uh-huh. Um, mm. It smacked me right in the face because, you know, other people, independent producers of color have had their projects come to a grinding halt during this time. Um when there are other folks that are just literally swimming in money and getting money to do whatever it is that they want. And you're right, they they carve out this small por portion of the budget and say, okay, here, this is for you. We're giving this to you guys. Um, meanwhile, right. there are so many other projects that are being funded and they're the same story and the same thing a lot of times, I find. Um, they're not really bringing anything new or different or unique to the space. Um, and, and that, within itself, I think hurts the whole industry to consistently mm -hmm. keep reproducing the same thing. Um, but that's enough about me on my soapbox. Well, sorry. That actually is resonating with me because there more recently is more call for black and indigenous stories. And that people are like, I've never seen this before. I'm making a docuseries that people have said that too. 
said that about. <laughs> They're like, I've never seen this before. How about you think about why that is mm-hmm. for once? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And, and just the point of it being like, yeah, it's so weird. Over the last year, people, it's, I guess, are starting to think about black people. Like that's like in general, like that's like <laughs> the, that they have appeared as a concept now. But just, like, the idea when you talked about, like, the POC fund, like, there's still so much separation and, like, there is still so much this this unnecessary competition to be the token still. And it's, it's like Joanna was talking about, it's sort of like there's this limited pool that everyone has to, and it's completely arbitrary, but it's a limited pool mm-hmm. that we all have to compete for. And meanwhile, the other like 95% they just get to like luxuriate in, in everything swimming money yes yeah. exactly like a Scrooge McDuck like here here <laughs> we are but yeah it's it's unbelievable the way that it's sort of like now there's more attention towards marginalized communities but the funds aren't there it's not it's still we're still not backing it up the words are floating aimlessly <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Floating aimlessly, perfectly phrased. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, are there any projects or artists that our listeners should be keeping an eye out for and supporting that you would recommend? And also, you've hinted at some things that you're working on. We'd like to know about those too. Yeah, I have a... Actually, I should talk about other people first. Uh, (laughs) uh, Always keep an eye on Lisa Jackson. Uh, She works in Canada. um, And she recently had a piece called Lichen at Imagine Native. I never thought that I would care so much about Lichen and the history of all the different pieces, all the different kinds of Lichen there are. And it's resiliency, uh, the word resiliency, but whatever. <laughs> um, she had had a piece called Bedabin, which came out back in 2018. And it was a reimagining of what Toronto would look like. Um, and also had a bunch of plants and wasn't as populated as it is now. Uh, and so... I guess that that was in the back of my mind when it came to some of the pieces or the VR piece that I'm working on uh, and had the uh, prototype trailer for. Of course, look out for anything that Tracy Rector is doing. There's this uh, very interesting doc, especially for any folks in L.A., called Manzanar Diverted. And that is by Ann Kanako. And it is an interesting almost braiding of three different groups of people uh, in this place called Manzanar, which used to be a concentration camp for um, Japanese Americans back in the 40s, uh, which also intertwined with the original uh, indigenous folks, the Paiute Shoshone, who were there. And some of the ranchers and other white folks who were invested in that land as well. And seeing how they have been exploited for the water, for the water rights that they have to filter down into uh, 
filling up LA's reservoirs. Mm. And so keep an eye on that documentary. It's very, very good. I think it's done very well. Uh, and really shows that we all need to come together to be liberated in the end. Um, but what about you? Oh, yes. About me. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I have a piece that I still need to get into festivals, or maybe I just need to release it and get some press on it. It is a 360 video piece that was charting my drive to top surgery. Um, so for folks who don't know, I'm Two-Spirit and I'm trans. Uh, and so I was watching a lot of videos when I was younger about, okay, here's what it looks like in the very white YouTube space for trans guys of like, oh, they're at home and now they're at the office uh, for their surgery. But what what is that journey like between home and the office? And so I decided that I would film it. And so I did. And it's my grandma's in the driver's seat. My mom's behind me. And it's just this sort of slice of life of what it's like going to this very big surgery and what it's like to, you know, interact with my family. So That was a really yeah. beautiful and intimate piece. And oh, thank the, you. yeah, the immerse of the 360 aspect of it was, like you said, like slice of life is totally what it is, which is like makes it that much more, I think, impactful. You know... One of the things that stood out the most for me about the piece was those moments of silence that mm -hmm. are in the car. Um, in those moments of silence, you can still feel the connection that you guys have between each other and you can feel the supportive energy. Like, I don't know. I felt like I could feel it mm -hmm. when I was <laughs> watching it. And I love that you kept those moments of silence in as part of the piece. Um, because far too often we're concerned about cutting things and making things move so fast and everything happens so quickly. But I think having those moments of silence just added that touch of realism to it. Um, uh, you know, we could sense a little bit of what was going on with you mm -hmm. um, and what was happening, even though in those moments no one was saying anything. And yeah. I hope you leave those in when you said it. Um, I'm keeping it completely uncut. Like, maybe I chopped the beginning and end, but... Luckily, it's only like an 11-minute drive to where I got my surgery, so you know what? Just, it is what it is. Yes. Um, on that note, can we reverse a bit, and could you speak to um, what it means to be Two-Spirit? Sure. Uh, you could also refer to my book, uh, Qualifications of Being, which I did with a high school friend of mine, Johnny Ciccone. Uh, he was the illustrator Amazing. for it and co-creator. And do you so, want to? Where can where can people find that? You can find that on qualificationsofbeing.com. Uh, you can either download it for free because I know that I was a cheapskate when I was uh, before I had a debit card in my own bank account, um, or you can buy a physical copy um, on the website as well. Great. 
So, uh, what it means to be two spirit. As with everything, when it comes to indigeneity, um, as with everything, when it comes to at least native Turtle Island indigeneity, whenever you take something on, there's an inherent responsibility in taking that thing on, whether that be leadership and accountability or being two-spirit. Uh, traditionally, we had many roles, and so um, it's been interesting to navigate the new insights that I have in recognizing what it's like to be a woman, what it's like to be a man, and what it's like to be in between, or maybe called both in the same sentence, and recognizing, yes, the power and privilege, but also the what the patriarchy has taken away from men, and obviously what it's taken away from women, but that we are not better for it. None of us are better for it. And so recognizing all of the unique things that we bring to a space, whether or not we're on the binary or we're not binary, um, it's, yeah, it's given me a lot of appreciation for what we all go through and what we need to work past and what has been enforced via colonization and, um, yeah, how we can go back by going forward. I love, in general, this that theme of going back by going forward. I think that's so powerful because there's more and more new technology with media. There's like a race. We have a really specific idea of what progress looks like and mm -hmm. this idea of going forward being, like I said earlier, like linear. <laughs> it reminds me, I'm starting to get into vintage because there's so much waste that comes with um, clothing production and so much um, exploitation of workers mm. that my research into vintage clothing and uh, just I love history in general is how incredibly resourceful and ingenious our ancestors were and like that even comes with uh folks from europe i'm like you're relegating your ancestors to oh those people we've moved past that past what we were i'm like no go back look <laughs> look what you had <laughs> it's there <laughs> i love that and that's similar with like when it comes to anything to spirit i'm like you don't need to take the label that we made back in the 90s, um, specifically for us, for a political movement, for um, initially gay and lesbian American Indians. Y'all have your own terms. Go look at your terms. Go find them. Go do that research. You don't need our terms. Our terms don't even describe you, so why are you trying to take this? Just because it sounds fancy? Ooh. That's <laughs> <laughs> so real. I've I've thought a lot about sort of like um, institutional amnesia, more in the like uh, face of in in, the, in like a work setting where everyone kind of like forgets that they've already done something, and then there's just like all of this redundancy. But also, it's such a there's such a cultural aspect to that too, where I think like in some respects, you know, it's important that we kind of learn things for ourselves and build things for ourselves. But also, yeah, <laughs> sometimes they're like 
Uh, we already did that. We already did that. <laughs> <laughs> Go dig through the files. It's there. Right. But it's hard. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at Raven underscore TWO underscore feathers um, or on my hardly used Twitter uh, at Raven, the number two feathers. Uh, And yeah, if you want to check out the zine slash comic, we never decided on what it was. If you want to check out the thing... (laughs) About my journey into realizing I'm trans and two-spirit, you can visit qualificationsofbeing.com. Great. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was wonderful chatting to all of you. All right, and that was our interview with Raven Two Feathers. Uh, I, again, wasn't in this conversation, but Isha, um, what were some of your immediate reflections post-conversation that you had? I think one thing that it made me think about a lot was just, in general, my relationship to technology. Um, As someone who's very new in the VR space and the immersive space, really considering it to be more of a mutual exchange between myself and technology. And also that that kind of dynamic being applied to different things in general. So like when we were talking about um, his uh, VR pitch about rediscovering the, um, the native plants and flora of Seattle mm-hmm. and having, when you, when mm-hmm. you actually, um, in the trailer, the the i guess player the main character you as you are experience you're immersed in this um sort of shifting world um can gain information about each of the plants the trees um by interacting with it and you have to like collect something and present it to the tree so in order cool. to get the information back from it which is such a great way That's of insane. Yeah, I think it really redefines and um, sort of shifts the way that I think about not just interacting with people, technology, but also the way I think about learning and like pedagogy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like it being such a like flattening the power dynamic that really comes between those things. And as someone who's Mm -hmm. very easily intimidated, I was like, this is nice. (laughs) I can contribute something too. (laughs) Yeah, it's super empowering. And it is, it does just kind of radically redefine like our education structures, pedagogy, like you said, and like that concept of ecological technology. Never heard of it before. Never even considered. I was like, you want me to talk to a plant? But that whole way of like just being able to pass information and communicate with not just other people. So relationships, it made me rethink that relationships aren't just one to one, right? And not human to human. It's not limited to that. It's much more boundless than that. And it's the relationship we have with our environment, the relationship we have with our ancestry, the land before us, you know, everything. Um, Very, very intertextual relationships uh, that we have that we, I think, cruise control too much and don't pay. We're not reminded and we forget those things. And in forgetting those things, what becomes lost and what type of sentimental 
you know, aspects of that get lost as well and forgotten. So it, it's, yeah, I was just blown away by those types of things because I'd never even considered it, but it was just like, yeah. Absolutely. And I think also on that very same note, the way that Raven spoke about his responsibility as well and carrying mm. that into all of those interactions, mm. um, I thought was really responsibility yeah right unfortunately <laughs> as much as big I word right yeah because through my life like you yeah said, but i think like you said yeah because i think like you said like if someone is intimidated <laughs> right or doesn't feel like they have even the authority or capability the agency to be able to contribute in a way this kind of empowers the user right to being like oh wow like i can do this right like i can begin taking certain steps and gaining more confidence and not only learning but participating right and becoming much more participatory like in this culture so it's it's huge because then that burden of responsibility doesn't have to feel alone right like he's in this like by himself like as i think that's when you know like you said technology can become an educational tool for more than one certain thing and it can help implement agency and you know in a participant in a user to make them feel much more capable and strong and into accomplishing things and also i think in it imbues a sense of, uh, sorry, the responsibility imbues a sense of, um, yeah, there is like a duty there. It's not just like, I can do mm-hmm. this and I have like permission to do this, Should. but also it's like, this is what, this is like <laughs> respect. This is, yeah. I love it. I love it. So, yeah. yeah I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Raven is just so cool. So please check him out. Um, and check out his work on his socials. And Yeah, we will have everything in the description box on how to get in touch with Raven Two Feathers, view his work, um, and, and get in direct contact with him. Also, I want to shout out Darian Deshawn, who is who you know gave us music for this episode. The album is called Robot Johnson, Bionic Boom Bap. Um, the song is Superior Nutrients, <laughs> which as soon as I looked it up, I was like, uh, yeah, click. <laughs> no brainer. Absolutely. No brainer <laughs> there. Um, awesome. And, you know, Brobots, that was, um, that experience was in MozFest a couple of weeks ago, you know, early to mid-March. Um, so always loving to be able to shout that out. So thank you again, Darian and Robot Johnson for the, the bionic boom bap. Uh, (laughs) so we will also have that in the description box as well so you can download the album check it out on spotify and all the all the places that people stream and hear words make sure that you are following us um on social crux xr is the handle on the instagrams and the twitters and also if you want to get in touch with us and collaborate on some projects empower and support black creators um join us on mighty networks our digital community just go to community.crux.black join us there and we'll be able to connect with you and holla and co-conspire and and changing this damn thing yeah yeah so thank you for listening make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast and we will see you next time <laughs>